0: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I never got any money from you. UFO
1: you might just as well stand for an unprecedented financial
0: opportunity.
1: This is the Saucer Life, a podcast wherein we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers few preconceptions snark when justified no belief no debunking today we finish up our look at the very third issue of california ufo magazine from 1980 oh shoot i forgot 1987 that's right i almost said 1988 but uh we're still in 1987, and the remainder of this issue—I mean, gosh—the stuff we covered in the first hour of our examination of this um, is is just the tip of the iceberg. That's the, the sort of front matter in the uh, in the magazine. Now we've got uh, we, we, we've got all sorts of things, uh, as you can see from the show notes: Terence McKenna, and Whitley Streber, and uh, dolphins, of course. So let's go ahead. And get started. Okay, to start things off, I, I honestly can't remember if I covered this on um, on the first installment of uh, of the sequence of Zine Scene episodes. Uh, I covered the other uh, another story on the same page about that um, ET channeling uh, documentary hosted by Telly Savalas. But I don't know if I, uh, I covered attorney initiates UFO blitz. I don't think I did. But if I did, th- this is an interesting experiment in getting two takes on the same item. Uh, this article is about uh, attorney and MUFON consultant Robert H. Bletchman. And he has initiated, quote, an intensive ad campaign to get a rational UFO message really out into the public eye. Really out into the public eye, not just into the public eye, not just virtually into the public eye or nearly into the public eye or or practically into the public eye. Really into the public eye. And here's the kicker. Um, They're seeking seed money to get the campaign on its feet.
0: UFO might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity.
1: Okay, uh, that was sort of obligatory at that point. So what is this going to be like? What is the plan here to really get a rational UFO message into the public eye? A targeted mailing to 100,000 people, starting with celebrity UFO proponents, is planned as a first step in their campaign for public awareness, according to Joyce Silverman, account supervisor with Sharness Incorporated, the advertising agency handling the campaign. We just want to open up the lines of communication on the issue. There's obviously a lot that the government is hiding, and even freedom of information tactics have not produced the necessary results, she said. Both Bletchman and Sharness are located in Connecticut, but a special campaign fund has been set up at MUFON headquarters in Texas. I'm going to do some checking and see if this ever um, amounted to anything. My prediction is, uh, is, is, is not, um, not. I don't know. I, some, there's so many, and, and this isn't just a UFO thing, but there, there, there's such a, a, a thing I think not just now, but but always apparently, of of people announcing their big push that they're doing before they're actually accomplishing anything. Now I know they need to raise money, um, or or, or seed money to get the campaign on its feet, which I I, I think probably translates as uh, Joyce Silverman told them. Our agency isn't doing anything until you give us money. Um, no, we will not bill you when it's all done. So it's kind of a Kickstarter sort of thing, but with no uh, no rewards for anybody who gives money, other than the satisfaction of knowing that um, UFO celebrity UFO proponents will be contacted. Now, I'm wondering who these celebrity UFO proponents are. It looks like this article has been um, sort of lifted from an announcement in Omni magazine, so I need to find that Omni magazine, uh, a recent issue. It says so that might narrow it down to um, a few months in 1987. Um, if anybody knows anything about this, let me know. I, I don't usually pick on typos, but this article spelled Connecticut wrong. Uh, that put two T's on the end, which actually looks looks kind of cool. I uh, I think we should rename Connecticut connecticut next we have a report on ufo ideas that emerged at the uh, the whole life expo the 1987 whole life expo the fifth annual um event held in los angeles um it, which was uh, according to the article quote darting in and out among more grounded new age notions uh that's where ufos were um I don't, I'm wondering what the more grounded New Age notions were where, where, um, where UFOs were sort of darting in and out of that. Um, more than 30,000 people, they say, came to the expo in search of new ideas, better ways to live and think. They attended seminars on crystal healing, past lives, visionary leadership, channeling, yoga, nutrition, miracles, relationships, socially responsible investing, metaphysics, synchronicity, and spiritual growth. Okay, that's. I mean, there's a lot of those things that are actually, yes, more grounded than UFOs. So what else was going on here? Um, So 30,000 people were there. Uh, Sandra Bowen of J&S Aquarian Networking uh, said that they had over 1,000 people at their UFO and crystal skull presentation, whereas last year they had 30. And Sandra also spoke of, quote, Her 1980 abduction into a spaceship and information, she says, the space people gave her about working with the mysterious ancient crystal skulls, end quote. Uh, She also said that there was definitely a stronger UFO interest this year and less fear, quote, on the part of people who came up afterwards to say they've had experiences themselves, end quote. And she gives credit to this new open-mindedness to Shirley MacLaine's miniseries, um, which, which um, I, uh, I, I, I'm vaguely familiar with, but I'm not sure if I've seen it since it was 1987 and I was 11 watching it. Um, she says, quote, I think it relates also to the Hopi Indian prophecy that 1987 would be the year of a major change of consciousness on Earth. And I also feel the peace meditation we had at the beginning of the year was something that needed to happen before the Earth would be ready to go through this change. And quote. So, this is a a recurring thing, and and we've seen this in a few previous episodes talking about um, Robert uh, Robert Morning Sky and and some other people. This this sort of conflation of Native American um, Native American belief systems and, and appropriating that and connecting it to, uh, to, to extraterrestrial-based UFO stuff. So one of the things that Bowen talks about, as, as we've heard, is uh, crystal skulls and her ET abduction. Uh, so she tells us a little more about that. According to information Bowen has remembered under hypnotic regression about her ET abduction, as well as information given to them by an independent channeler, extraterrestrials brought a number of crystal skulls to Earth in ancient times. They supposedly taught Earthlings the technology of transforming humans and human skulls into crystal to preserve their knowledge after death. And the skulls, to this day, can be tapped for unlimited ongoing information, healing, and prophecy. Bowen was part of a team led by parapsychologist and psychic researcher Nick Nocorino to study the Mitchell-Hedges crystal skull in Canada for three weeks in 1985. The team worked in cooperation with the skull's owner, Anna Mitchell-Hedges, who found it in 1924 among the Mayan ruins in Honduras. See feature story in our next issue. I know I say this sort of thing a lot. I mean a lot, a lot, but I think I need to do an episode about the Crystal Skulls. Uh it's not strictly a UFO topic, but it uh it, it connects to the UFO topic in some interesting ways, as we see here. Now, before you think that it's all, you know, sort of hardcore science stuff like Hopi Prophecy and Crystal Skulls, we do have some channelers. April and Stephen White, who gave us information from an old friend, an old friend of the show, good pal of mine and yours. We all know him. It's Ashtar. Channeler's April and Stephen White presented messages from Ashtar and Athena, two space beings said to be stationed on a ship orbiting around Earth, helping to create the balance necessary to counteract humanity's negative patterns. These entities are thought to be embodiments of a lighter molecular structure and vibration than our humans, although they can alter their vibrational rates at will and materialize in our dimension. We are Earth-based representatives of the Ashtar Command and spiritual hierarchy working toward personal and planetary ascension, wrote April in a note to this magazine. Our purpose presently is to gather the eagles and prepare them for flight. The eagle representing the inner yearning to journey home and break the bondage of earth chains formed from mankind's negative thought forms. I know a fair bit about Ashtar, uh, Ashtar Command, but I I am not familiar with uh, April and uh, what is it, April and Stephen white as far as 1980s Ashtar stuff goes i'm a, i'm a tuella man from way back uh but that's the thing about Ashtar right all the way back to the 1950s there is dispute over who is the legitimate authorized Ashtar spokeshuman who is the the authoritative earth-based representation of Ashtar command and one of the things that I, I think is interesting is that Ashtar here is paired with uh, another space being named Athena. And Athena, very much, you know, Greek mythological name, right? But uh, usually the, the Ashtar command beings are, are, are named more like the names that you would find in writings about the ascended masters and that sort of older spiritual uh tradition. So is this just an attempt to find a familiar but spacey sounding name that started with an A and, and Athena sort of comes up or it, is this an attempt to to widen the the sort of mythological inputs into into Ashtarism Ashtar channeling Ashtarism I don't think that's a word. But um I mean yes, I know I am I'm discounting the the other possibility here is that Ashtar and Athena are their actual names and they are sending messages through April and Stephen White. But, I, I mean, obviously that's an option. But setting that aside, you know, um, I love Ashtar. I, I love the channeling. I love the idea of the ships being in Guardian formation around the planet to, uh, to save us from ourselves. Uh, you ever wish it was real? Sometimes, sometimes I do. Also featuring At the Whole Life conference this year was Roberta Brooks, who held a workshop, quote, explaining spiritual information allegedly given to Billy Meyer from members of a race of people from the Palladian star system. Meyer is the controversial and much publicized Swiss farmer who claims to have had repeated contact with the Palladians beginning in 1976, as well as videotape. And photographs of their ships. Okay, uh, Billy, some Billy Meyer, one-armed farmer action. What do we uh, What do we learn here? Brooks says that uh, the extraterrestrials originally taught humans to experience emotions because quote the experience of overcoming emotions and learning to remember our spiritual natures is the essence of life on Earth. End quote. Do we really overcome emotions? Is that is that healthy? I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I think recognizing emotional responses and integrating them into a, a well-rounded approach to living life is probably a little healthier, but I, uh, I did not get that information from, uh, somebody from the Pleiades. So I don't know if it's, um, if it's if it's legit, uh, and, and the Billy Meyer books and videotapes were available for sale, uh, that's uh, that's great. Uh, a guy named Daryl Anka, I wonder if he's really to Paul Anka, channeled an off planet entity called Bashar, speaking on the mechanics of metaphysics. Uh, Anka supposedly had a physical UFO sighting twelve years previously, which led to the channelings that he. Uh, that he provides, and we have another um, another great sort of channeling uh, thing with some people with names who are that are you know perfect uh perfect channeled being names and I will probably mispronounce them. Moira and Raja of Aquarian Perspectives Interplanetary Mission had an exhibit booth with information on the dawning of the New World Order, spiritual healing, UFOs, and Star People. The couple is involved in assisting Star People to recognize their mission on Earth, which they say is to help rejuvenate the energies of the planet and humanity. Star People is a name coined by UFO author Brad Steiger to denote people with extraterrestrial ancestry who are currently awakening to their true heritage heritage. And destiny, Brad Steiger appeared in other places at the uh, the conference as well, or, or he or his ideas he uh, He gave presentations on um on the love force and the reality game also speaking was Dr. Andrea Puharik, uh who we met when we talked about the twelve um, Here they sort of uh, promote his biography of Yuri Geller. And, uh, and Puharik spoke on two topics. Uh, the first was uh, healing on a subatomic level. And the other was extremely low frequency waves. There was another speaker also who focused on the connection between crystals and UFO. And he was part of a, a panel on crystal healing. This was somebody known only as Master Ho. Uh, Master Ho. Uh, Ken Carey, who wrote the book *The Starseed Transmissions*, was there as well, talking about embracing the visionary experience. Uh, this sounds like a delightful, um, a delightful sort of sort of conference. But I don't know. I, 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 the older I get, the less I want to be around people. And, and when I read thirty thousand people are at this expo, with a thousand people at a, one particular session, I'm just like, nope. I uh, I am not doing that, and I would not have done that at age eleven. I'm pretty sure my parents would not have been huge fans of of me going to the whole life the whole life expo. Next, we have a a segment from the uh, the forum section of the magazine, which seems to be kind of a an op ed sort of this is my viewpoint on the on the UFO phenomenon uh, from various people and. There are a few of these forum uh, columns in this issue. And the first one is, uh, is by Terrence McKenna, who's done, you know, who did rather a huge amount of work on psychedelic drugs uh, and their effect on the brain and, and connections to things like UFOs that might be uh, paranormal or mythological. Um, this column is entitled Oversoul Takes Shape in Archetypal UFO and i i love this uh this this passage the extraterrestrial is the human oversoul in its general and particular expression on the planet though this doesn't rule out the possibility that psychedelics place us in contact with extraterrestrials somewhere in the galaxy it probably means that the communication is mediated through the oversoul The Oversoul is some kind of field generated by human beings, but is not under the control of any institution, government, or religion. It is actually the most intelligent organism on the planet, regulating human culture through the release of ideas out of eternity and into the continuum of history. The UFO is an idea whose purpose is to confound science, because science has begun to threaten the existence of the human species and the entire ecosystem of the planet, And at this point, a shock is necessary for the culture. A shock equivalent to the shock of the resurrection on Roman imperialism. The myths that are building are similar to the messianic myths that preceded the appearance of Christ. They are of an invention by a hyper-intelligent entity that comes from the stars and reveals the right way to live. By a series of demonstrations, they make it apparent that the purpose of human history is nothing less than the total immersion in their teachings. In this case, the teachings of the saucers. Terence McKenna is is one of those thinkers where whenever I read a snippet or a selection of of something um that is that is interesting like this um it 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 sort of reminds me that I have not read nearly enough Terence McKenna. I have not listened to enough of his lectures that I believe are are out there on YouTube and in various places. Last semester I uh, I had a, a student not really sort of apropos of of anything I'd said about anything related to this but it, w- it was tangentially related to the uh the, the topic in class and, and he asked me if I'd ever if I'd ever heard of Terence McKenna and and this this student was was probably you know 20 22 something like that and um we we talked about uh, about Terence McKenna a bit and and this student who listened to a lot of Terence McKenna stuff wasn't aware that McKenna had anything really to say about UFOs. So the guy talked about so much stuff that uh, you could listen to a lot of his, his lectures and, and read his material without, um, without being uh, exposed to the, uh, the, the UFO angle. Um, I, I've wanted to do an episode on Terrence McKenna's UFO stuff for, um, for a while, but it's so daunting. He's got so many, uh, so many big ideas. And then, this is followed up by Terence McKenna talking about the UFO oversoul and things like that, and 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 the perspective of people like Jacques Vallee who are trapped in a framework of of what he he you know characterizes as as the tradition of French rationalism. How that has a different viewpoint. It, it, it's amazing stuff. It's really thought provoking stuff. And the next article is. By Bill Hamilton, uh, who is a, is a MUFON field investigator, who is a 30-year veteran of UFO research. His article is, Ufology Can Progress with Small-Scale SETI. And before you sort of dismiss this as, oh, silly effort to investigate. Why do we need a small-scale SETI when there's like the big Arecibo dishes, you know, beaming out stuff? Well, Hamilton's approach to SETI and an approach to a, a small sort of private um, – Attempt to communicate with the ETs is more focused on uh, on UFO and ET contactees. Um, so, using uh, the, the the information provided by contactees to uh, reach out to the aliens and have them um, have them appear or to communicate. And he describes one of the attempts that he made. About a dozen of us went into the high desert of California to attempt communication with UFO using a light beam transceiver. This was prior to lasers. That uses a transmitter to modulate a visible beam of light instead of a radio wave and is highly directional, not broadcast. The receiver is designed to convert an incoming light signal to audio. We pointed the beam at various points in the western sky, transmitting a greeting to UFOs and ETs and inviting them to respond. We never got an audio response, but a blue-colored UFO appeared and flashed a visual acknowledgement at the end of our beam. Altogether, we'd spent a few dollars to accomplish this citizen's small-scale SETI and actually got something for our efforts. Well, they, they did get something for their efforts. They got a UFO sighting that will probably go into a filing cabinet full of other UFO sightings that really doesn't tell us anything that they saw a UFO after sending a directed light beam into the western sky. And when I read, you know, we went out with light beams to, to attract UFOs. I just think of, um, of Stephen Greer's efforts in the 90s and his, his programs to go out and, and summon UFOs that you could, uh, you could pay to, um, to go on. Uh, also in the forum section, the last uh, column in the forum section, we have uh, Keith Thompson of Mill Valley, California, uh, who conducts life history interviews and chronicles family roots through his video production company, Lifeline Productions. And uh, this is about basically preserving people's stories of their UFO or ET encounters for later generations. And it's, it's interesting because I saw Keith Thompson and, and I in, in instantly sort of thought, oh, Keith Thompson he wrote the book Angels and Aliens, which was I think in the mid 90s or so and a really good book sort of connecting um, religious and mythological topics to UFOs and I was sort of surprised that uh, this this column was was just basically about His job as a video producer and and sort of oral history interviews that he's done. But the little bio section um, points out that Thompson will soon be, quote, presenting seminars on the mythic dimensions of UFO phenomenon in New York, Massachusetts, and California. So we do have that glimpse into what is to come from Keith Thompson in the future. Next, uh, sort of the last thing we'll look at before we take a break, there's an interview with Barbara Marx Hubbard a, a futurist and and sort of new age thinker and and she's she's not necessarily a a a, a UFO person but she's got a lot of sort of forward thinking scientific ideas she also was uh, nominated for vice president on the democratic ticket at the 1984 uh, Democratic National Convention, of course, as you uh, as you may know and or remember, that VP nomination slot went to another woman, uh, Geraldine Ferraro. Um, I, I I don't think having Barbara Marx Hubbard on the ticket would have really helped Mondale in '84. Um, not sure what would have helped Mondale in '84. So she does address UFOs. A bit um but uh but it, it's she has not seen a ufo she wants to see a ufo but then they ask her what she thinks ufos are and I I, I I don't i don't think this is any less of a useful thought about it than anything else i've ever read about the subject i think that ufos are entities from other dimensions of reality We've learned in science that there are all kinds of rays, such as X-rays, that we don't physically see. It is my sense that our nervous systems are only picking up a certain spectrum of reality under normal circumstances, and that when we're tuned to a slightly higher frequency, we can pick up reality at that frequency. UFO, as you know, means unidentified flying object. We don't know what they are, so I'm not saying that I know. But it seems to me that what's happening is that the human race itself is becoming extraterrestrial and as we mature, going into the universe physically, and as we also mature in our consciousness, becoming more sensitive to the patterns of evolution and creation, and activating our extrasensory dimensions, we will find that we can pick up information from beings of other realities. It seems very parochial to assume that the reality of our five mammalian senses, with its scientific extensions, is the full reality of this universe. We are about to get over the geocentric and the human-centric in ourselves. We are like a newborn baby. We haven't seen others like ourselves yet because we're still crying with our eyes closed. A little woo, a little unsupportable with current evidence, a little optimistic, but not bad, Not, not bad. It beats crystal skulls as far as explanations and ideas go. All right, we are going to take our usual break and we will be back with Dolphins and Whitley Strieber and other things. Oh, Bigfoot. Bigfoot, too. Yay, Bigfoot. <laughs> If you like The Saucer Life and want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content. Patrons get the episodes before everybody else, and there's bonus content every month. I think uh, this month's bonus episode is going to be um, a, uh, a another sort of zine scene thing, uh, only with um, a-, a publication that isn't actually a UFO publication. Um, I'm thinking about... Ideas. Uh, if you're interested in the Patreon, you can check it out at patreoncom slash media or via the link in the show notes. And you can check out past episodes at SaucerLife.com or your favorite podcast app. As always, we're on um, social media uh, at Saucer Life. If you Saucer Life on X, where I rarely am, and Instagram, where I am more often, and Facebook, where I'm at as often as I am on instagram uh so you can check those out uh you can email us at the at gmail.com or contact us by post at Chizomedia, media p.o box 68 grand Blanc, michigan 48480 and we did have some interesting uh and and or amusing pieces of feedback um about the, uh, the, the last episode, Flying Lemon comments, a tension between scientific approaches and new age thought and an issue featuring dolphin human communication can only mean one thing, dolphin communication proponent and LSD ketamine enthusiast, Dr. John C. Lilly. Um, yes, so um, Dr. John C. Lilly, does he appear in the dolphin article we will be talking about in a little bit? uh, very, very, very tangentially, okay, um, actually, well, not tangentially. uh, yeah, well, kind of uh, his wife shows up. let's just uh let's just uh, say that until we get to it. Um Matthew. Says, <laughs> this this one's funny. I've long believed there was an undocumented plugin for WordPerfect 5.1, known only to the UFO cognoscenti, which could convert a single concise sentence into an overwrought treatise. Listening to Ms. Cooper's editorial only confirms my suspicions. Um, thank you, Matthew, uh, for the uh, the the sort of fun put down of Cooper's editorial and invoking the specter of WordPerfect 5.1, which I actually didn't use that much. I did when we first got a computer when I was in in high school. My dad got a deal on the latest version of WordStar, uh, a word processing program, which was by that point already being overshadowed by WordPerfect 5.1 and a few years later, Microsoft Word. But WordStar, if any of you uh, old heads out there uh, remember WordStar. I, 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 just the list of keyboard commands uh, was, was just daunting. I, I'd never figured out how to use that program. All right. Um, let's get back. Let's get to the dolphins and uh, mentions of, uh, of John Lilly and, uh, and mentions of people who aren't John Lilly. Okay, it's time for the dolphin cover story. I I don't know why I paused there. It's dramatic. The dolphin cover story. It starts off, it starts off promisingly. Sherry Stark, the author says, quote, Why is there a story about dolphins in a UFO magazine, you may ask? That's a good question. Um, I can only assume it has something to do with uh, Douglas Adams's "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish," uh, which was published a few years prior to this. I think I referenced that in the uh, the, the previous episode but but this is this is how how Sherry Stark um, sort of came to want to write. About dolphins, she says, "Quote: The first tie I ran across relating dolphins to extraterrestrials was about three years ago, before my partner had even formalized the idea for a UFO magazine, let alone introduced the idea to me. I was interviewing the late Tony Lilly, wife and partner of renowned dolphin researcher John Lilly, for another publication. Uh, and end quote. So Tony Lilly told Sherry Stark about all of their uh, all of their dolphin uh, all their dolphin research." Um. That uh learning from dolphins will help enhance human beings own compassion, and um, we we need to learn about ourselves and our culture from the vantage point of the dolphins so the article segues from there into uh into a discussion of of dolphin intelligence and dolphin empathy, but then then gets into some really interesting stuff with the, uh, the research of um, of Aldo Aulicino, A-U-L-C-I-N-O, Aldo Aulicino, who heads up um, what is described as an international multidisciplinary project called KaiKlos, based in Canoga Park, California. KaiKlos, I believe, is Greek for cycle. Uh, and Aulicino has interesting ideas and an interesting background, not just about dolphins and dolphin consciousness or cetacean consciousness, but about a wide variety of things. Alicino started Kyklos in 1977 as a science student at UCLA, bored with the information available to him through traditional science. He set out to verify and integrate information from a wide variety of sources and has since come up with ideas, he says, elegantly and simply explain all metaphysical phenomenon conclusively. Well, this, uh, this fellow certainly has a, uh, a fairly high opinion of, of himself. What I love is that there's no photograph of Aldo. What they have is a sort of pen and ink line drawing of a guy in a nondescript white collared shirt wearing giant sort of dark aviator sunglasses with some sort of swept back hair this could be this could be anyone um and it makes him look like it, it's got kind of a unabomber sort of suspect drawing vibe to it um but but he he tells us about uh his anthropological research uh, about a species of cetaceans that, uh, that, that, that regular science doesn't really recognize the way they should. Kyklos has uncovered and correlated anthropological research indicating that cetaceans are descendants from protoceti, an extremely intelligent creature who lived in the Canada, Scandinavian, Siberia areas of the earth approximately 65 million years ago. Protoceti resembled a short squat horse had hands with the opposable thumbs that could grasp things, with which it built a technologically advanced civilization. Aldecino says, We have been able to come up with more than 100 independently verified artifacts from the proto era and geographic information such as remnants of glass, incredibly pure alloys, incredibly pure crystals, artificially created plastics, and evidence of massive earth-moving projects which make the Great Wall of China look like a sandcastle all dated specifically to the date of 65 million years ago and all of which we can directly attribute to the existence of Protoceti and the existence of this great civilization. Now, looking at, um, at, at less UFO magazine-based information about the, uh, the, the evolution of cetaceans, um, it looks like the earliest evolution um, of... Uh, of cetaceans, began in uh, on the Indian subcontinent about 50 million years ago. So 65 million years ago, is sort of before cetaceans. And while cetaceans do have um, sort of the, the remnants of finger bones in their fins, uh, I can't see anything about opposable thumbs and tool use and productions of uh, of plastic. So so that information is uh, is just sort of to balance out the findings of the Kyklos Institute or whatever. So this civilization um, uh, developed into what they call the first true marine mammals 50 million years ago. Okay, so they're uh, and eventually evolved into cetaceans. Their the protocetes civilization was wiped out by an environmental catastrophe. However, the communal consciousness of the cetaceans that goes back to the ProtoCeti continued to evolve. Um, continued to evolve into what he calls, quote, a state of ultra-high transcendental attunement, so high that the more humanly understood linear patterns of communicating are unnecessary. Frameworks of time and space identification have, in effect, dissolved in their nurturing sea of knowing, end quote. Um, so it, it's the, their consciousness has survived and evolved over tens of millions of years. He connects it to uh, Babylonian, Mesopotamian, and Sumerian creation stories, words from Sanskrit and things like that. What's the connection with, uh, with aliens? Well, um, he doesn't really talk about that especially, but we, we do talk to um, a guy named, uh, named Boris Saeed, who is the director of Dolphin Perspective, an experimental swim with the dolphins project based in the Florida Keys. And he works with uh, the Dolphin Research Center for Interspecies Communication. And uh, he says, quote, do I think dolphins are in touch with extraterrestrials? It wouldn't surprise me. I know a lot of people working with dolphins who have voiced the same thought, but most of them wouldn't come out and tell you because they wouldn't want to be quoted. End quote. Uh, so again, it's sort of this appeal to you know people who would say this, but they're they're too they're too scared to. So uh, again, kind of a not quite a cover up, but a, uh, a thing like that. Um, he talks about why you know the the, the species that's that's spread across seventy percent of the water. They they're the largest brain dolphins are the largest brain species on the planet. But but the big thing that really convinces him that dolphins are in touch with extraterrestrials, is, quote, my intuition tells me that if there are beings in outer space, and I think there clearly are, and they were going to communicate with a strange planet, they would communicate with the most receptive beings on the planet. There is certainly nobody I've met lately who falls into that category. End quote. He goes on to, uh, Saeed goes on to uh, explain that dolphins are, are very nonjudgmental. They're happy. They respect each other's personal space um, you can feed a dolphin off the end of the dock and the other dolphins will wait their turn so they're they're polite and they're happy and thus receptive to uh, to communication um, so you know, th- th- the, the article goes on and on and it's more about cetacean consciousness than than really about uh, about UFO things I, I really get the feeling that Sherry Stark wanted to write an in-depth article about cetacean and dolphin consciousness and um and uh and, and sort of threw in a ufo angle to be able to write about it in ufo magazine um and and, and you, she talks to a a spiritual channel named neville Rowe from uh from los angeles um and he says quote i don't personally know of any ufo dolphin theories but i do know that the dolphins have said they communicate with spiritual entities some of which are off-planet is, end quote. Um, and, uh, and he suggested to Sherry Stark that the best way to, uh, to get information about this is to have a channeling session and ask the dolphins directly. So, of, of course, that's what they did. Do you have any information about a purpose the extraterrestrials might now have on this planet? Are dolphins connected with any such purpose, we asked? Enthusiastically, Kajuba gave us the following response.
0: Definitely. We could speak to you about many purposes extraterrestrials have here, but since your time, within your time frame as you understand time, is limited, we will be brief. Firstly, because of our environment, and because of what and who we are, we are far more able to communicate telepathically with your off-planet brothers and sisters than are you. Many times we act as a relay station in such communications, for our vibration is so much closer to yours, it is easier for us to communicate to you than for them. Their purposes on Earth at this time are many and varied. There are many other different levels in the evolution of other life forms and other systems within your universe there are some who are only a little more evolved than is humankind, but who are advanced enough to be traveling throughout space. And some of these have great fear of what humanity is going to do with its nuclear arsenal. If the planet Earth were to be destroyed in a nuclear explosion, it would have disruptive effects throughout the whole space-time continuum, not just your local part of the universe, because the universe is not linear. It would affect all aspects. There are other beings who are very frightened of you, who have tried to come find your planet and destroy you. And then there are other entities who are benign towards you, who are overlooking you, such as the Palladians and those from Sirius and Arcturus, who have put a blanket of invisibility over your planet, in fact, so that those hostile armadas have gone right by without seeing you. If you see them land at a metal craft that they have constructed only for your purposes of visualization, then they are more readily accepted. And many times it's only that. They create an energy form that your subconscious mind interprets to be a spacecraft. You cannot deny the evidence of your own eyes, that what you do not recognize is that everything you see is a construct of your own belief system, that you are perceiving energy and constructing it into what you perceive as reality. So your off-planet brothers and sisters have many forms, visible and invisible, just waiting for the right time to make themselves known. Some are making themselves known now.
1: Kajuba, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm, I'm struck by, by in the, the earlier part of that communication from our dolphin friend Kajuba that, that the message is, is, is almost identical to just the classic contactee space brother message. They're worried about our nuclear arsenals. If we have some kind of nuclear conflict, it is going to not just destroy Earth, but resonate throughout inhabited space. So in in a similar way that this issue of UFO Magazine spends a lot of time on a seemingly separate topic, uh, dolphin communication, and then ties it into UFOs. They also – uh, have an article about Sasquatch, a, a multi-page, lengthy overview of Sasquatch and Bigfoot, uh, but they do tie it in in a little sidebar uh, article to a um, to, to a, a UFO thing. They have a picture of a sa- Sasquatch named John Dick, J-O-N-D-I-K, and uh, he he has sort of a human-looking face. Uh, it looks like a guy who has a giant beard, no mustache, and then. That face looks kind of human, but then the rest of him is sort of covered in fur. Uh, John Dick lives in the fifth dimension, but regularly, they say, manifests on Earth, according to, quote, a metaphysical tale that surely won't be found in serious terrestrial anthropology casebooks anytime soon, end quote. And this this story is from a, a retired logger named Stan Johnson, who met John Dick in, uh, in 1983, the fall of 1983, um, when he was 70 years old, and uh, two years later in 1985, he related this story. I'm going to meet the Bigfoot people who will take me to visit their home and I plan to spend the night with them. I have a strong feeling of the girl Lackel's presence. I was driving along about thirty miles per hour when she jumped out in front of me. I stopped and asked what she was doing so far from where we were supposed to meet. This was a big open place, with not much cover for her to hide in. She said she couldn't feel the presence of any other people in the area and thought she would come up to meet me. We drove up the mountain to the place I was to meet them. When we left the car, we had several miles to walk down to a canyon to their home. It was dark and timbered down the trail, but I could see almost as well as if it were daylight. There appeared to be some kind of soft light all around me. When I got to the house they had built, I could see it plainly. It was about 12 feet long and 8 to 10 feet wide, roughly 10 feet high and built of logs on two blown-over trees about 8 feet apart. It had logs upright on its sides, logs across the top, with fir boughs laid over to keep the weather out. The house was clean, I I mean really clean, with fur boughs all over the floor. The air was sweet and fresh-smelling. I slept there that night, but only for two or three hours. Different ones were in and out all night, as if they were keeping watch. They had told me they were in danger and would be leaving the next day. The danger was from an enemy UFO. Although some of the Bigfoot people have been tampered with mentally and have some problems, they usually won't harm humans unless they are threatened, and then they can be quite vicious. Most of these are the ones that are followers of the bad ruler on the planet Eris and report to him the whereabouts of Bigfoot families here on Earth. This is the big reason the Bigfoot families don't want anything to do with humans here on Earth. They have seen what happened to the Bigfoot people that the scientists on Eris had tampered with. They have studied our scientists' minds and are afraid they will be used in the same way. They do not wish to have their minds tampered with. Now, to my mind, this beats I saw a UFO with a Bigfoot in the window type of u- the usual UFO Bigfoot stories. This is a a legit UFO contactee kind of story. The Bigfeet are friendly aliens, but there are evil aliens who have been tampering, mentally tampering with the Bigfoot people and hunting down the Bigfoot families on Earth. This sounds like it would be kind of a background document sort of attached to a, uh, a film treatment because I, I can see, um, gosh, imagine, you know, sort of a, uh, Harry and the Hendersons, but, but sort of a grim sort of alien versus predator kind of gore fest where the bad people were hunting down the Bigfoot family. That sounds awful. I don't think I'd want to uh, actually watch that, but it's an interesting idea to have this sort of contact detail that is a um, that is a a Bigfoot story at the same time. And finally, it's 1987. So what we have in the the book review section is a review of Whitley Strieber's sort of seminal UFO abduction book, Communion. And what's interesting is this is, of course, before Whitley Strieber embarked on his sort of second career as being abductee Whitley Strieber, uh, when he was uh, mostly known as, uh, as a different kind of author. As it says in sort of the, the lead here, quote, Whitley Strieber fans, long accustomed to the author's best selling science fiction and supernatural novels, may find his latest offering even more outre than usual. Subtitled The True Story. Communion is Streber's firsthand account of his alleged abduction by and contact with the visitors, bizarre beings from the Twilight Zone who inhabit a realm somewhere between everyday awareness and the shadowy substance of the subconscious. So that end quote. So so that's that's interesting. Uh this is, you know, the before time when Streber was was just embarking on this um this strand. Of his uh, of his career, and the the uh, the review does acknowledge that uh, quote scoffers are likely to wonder whether streber hasn't been abducted by his overactive imagination. After all, isn't this the same man who gave us werewolves and vampires dressed in contemporary sheep's clothes? Um, and then it, it sort of it sort of goes into sort of undermining that that sort of cynical uh, cynical approach. Now, in in the end, um, after sort of summarizing uh, summarizing the book. The review author assesses the overall approach this way. Does the evidence presented in Communion add up to proof of extraterrestrial intervention? Not everyone will be convinced. I realize there are only two approaches to the book you can take, Strieber said on the eve of a two-week 16-city promotional tour. If you're a skeptic, naturally you're going to think none of it ever happened. Still, he hopes the book's straightforward reportage and the information it contains will attract serious attention. Something is happening to hapless humans, Strieber says, even if it can't be clearly categorized within the UFO abduction experience. Maybe the invasion is taking place in some yet-explored domain of the mind, perhaps in Jung's collective unconscious. Opinion polls show a consistent increase in the number of Americans who believe in the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. What I do know, he adds, is that the universe is a much, much stranger place than we realize. So a a pretty middle-of-the-road review, actually, in in the sense of not really endorsing Streber's claims, but endorsing the whole, well, something must have happened, otherwise why would he write this book sort of of thing. Um, I do – oh, I I question two things. One – I question, I question the practice in general of inserting comments from the author of the book being reviewed into the book review uh, itself. Um, it, 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 you don't have a right to reply within the body of the review, right? Um, so I, I don't like that. But I, I also take issue with uh, with um, with Streiber's contention. That there are only two approaches to the book you can take. Um, if you're a skeptic, naturally you're going to think none of it ever happened. Um, the other, the other uh, approach, probably I, I suppose, being you believe everything Strieber says. That those that that kind of very black and white binary, yes no approach, isn't um, isn't really effective or useful for anything but painting people who don't take Strieber's book at face value as some kind of some kind of filthy skeptic who needs to be you know driven out of town or or at least driven out of out of UFO UFO town so I, I don't like that it comes across as a bit uh, a bit defensive I think but um Nobody has ever accused Whitley Streber of having a thick skin where his uh, where his ideas and books are concerned. Uh so that is uh that is is UFO magazine number uh number three. There are some other things in here. There's some um uh the uh alien movies that came out in 1986. You've got aliens, you've got invaders from Mars, you've got Howard the Duck. Excellent. You've got Euphoria with um which stars um Oh, the other one from uh, Laverne Cindy Williams. Cindy Williams. We uh we we watched that on uh, over on the Patreon. It, it's I liked I liked Euphoria. It was really good. They also include Little Shop of Horrors in here as well as um well, I I think oh, oh, uh Flight of the Navigator. They mentioned Flight of the Navigator. I loved Flight of the Navigator. They talk about Star Trek for the voyage home. Aliens talking to whales, right? So that kind of ties in with the uh, the big theme. Oh, oh, there is something else in here. I need to uh, I need to address, and that is my my favorite feature of the old school UFO magazine uh, things, and that is the um, the Cosmo bits totally unfounded rumors and sleazy gossip buzzing on the ufo grapevine hey you yeah you flying saucer sleuth grab your spyglass magnetometer and trusty decoder ring and help captain ufology find out why the movie hangar 18 was grossly inaccurate Nikola Tesla once worked for Naval Intelligence and or he was an E.T. himself. Some mystics say UFOs come from territory called the Astral and Causal planes. Extraterrestrials reconnoitering points north are checking out Earth's progress with a science called cold weather engineering. Other well-motivated E.T.s want to help us check out a dangerous problem apparently afflicting our sun. Former President Eisenhower once permitted ETs to give American kids rides in their spaceships, but ultimately denied them the unprecedented opportunity to go public. A black-and-white TV tuned into Channel 3 becomes a top-of-the-line UFO detector. A celebrated cult figure calls all ETs evil. You can tell the bad ETs from the good ETs by the fact that only the bad ETs' ships make noise. All of the above are possibly lies, inaccuracies, disinformation, cold hard fact, or any combination thereof. I think I've said it on previous looks at old UFO magazines. I, I, I think I've I've said that, that that little gossip column thing they do is, I think, it's just fun. It's lighthearted. Um, but w- what always sort of sticks with me is... You know, there's a handful of things on that list that today are being promulgated as as absolute, uh, absolute almost fact uh, because I read it somewhere authoritative. UFO Magazine is, at this point in its career, or its life, or its run, or whatever you want to call it, moving into something else. We've got... We've got Whitley Strieber on the scene now. We've got communion. We're going to see sort of an explosion of abductee type of things going on. Um, Is this issue the turning point? I'm not sure. But the turning point is coming. And um, I'm looking forward to doing another one of these issues at some point in the future. I think I've got one more um, out of the early ones that have been released for sale by uh, UFO magazine at UFO mag uh, Ufomag dot com I think it's uh, it's mag dot com um if you are interested in it is UFOmag.com if you are interested in old UFO magazines and UFO culture of the late 80s uh, go and um, and check out some of these old magazines what's great is that they are uh, they are being sold for uh the price the cover price at the time so the uh, the first issue uh volume one of january or november uh nineteen eighty six two dollars fifty cents for the pdf uh, this one that I talked about today uh the the dolphin issue uh you can get that for uh, get that for three dollars and it looks like actually I've got two issues uh a, a last one from nineteen eighty seven and uh, the first issue of 1988 that I have not, uh, not talked about yet, that one has an interview with, uh, with Whitley Strieber, another cover story on abduction. Um, another issue has uh, Crystal Skulls, Hollow Earth, classic 50s UFO movies. So more great stuff. Oh, and uh, evidence about MJ-12. So more great stuff to come from UFO Magazine and thanks for listening remember to send in your questions and comments via the usual social media or email channels and uh, we'll address those next time um and next time um i'm not sure what the next uh what the next topic is i've got a couple that i'm uh i'm juggling around we'll probably see which one will be ready for next time before we uh, announce things i don't like announcing things because i always end up announcing things that um that end up being different so our associate producer is simpson j hanover the third and the saucer life is a production of chizo media llc chizo media our heart is with the people until next time keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you